Today we're going to continue our Ten Commandments series with a sermon entitled American Idols. And we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 4 today. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or whip out your phones or turn your bulletin over, however you want to read God's Word. And I'm going to begin by telling you something that happened in Kenosha called the Miracle on 54th Street. In 1991, there was a phenomenon that happened. And we lived through an interesting time in our city. There's a revival group that interestingly didn't come from the Protestant movement, but started among some Catholics in the Catholic churches. And it was this huge revival um, that was starting to go on. They became very charismatic. They got filled with the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues. But they still wanted to hold on to the tenets of the Catholic faith, so they tried to stay within the Catholic church. Well, this group got kicked out of their own church, so they started... Um, going around Kenosha to other Catholic churches until they found a Catholic church with a priest that was more sympathetic to allowing them to use the sanctuary to have their meetings. And during one of these meetings, a strange thing happened. And this event at Mount Carmel in Kenosha, it was the name of the church, it became actually national news when it was reported that an image of Jesus was manifesting itself above the statue of St. Joseph in their sanctuary. And people came from all over southeastern Wisconsin and northern Illinois. Some people even came from as far away as Florida and California to come and see this phenomenon. There, I remember there were lines around the block with people carrying cameras and binoculars trying to, trying to get pictures and, and see it even better. There was even those big old gigantic VHS camcorders. You guys remember those? Had a battery life of like five minutes, a light that you could shine deer in Minnesota with. I mean, it just, you know, those big things that people would be carrying. The press was even parked for a few weeks outside the churches. People were going in and out, running around the block sometimes to get back in line to get their chance to see this apparition or phenomenon again. And some people reported seeing Jesus with his arms wide open. Some people saw Jesus with tears in his eyes. Others saw his hands outstretched, showing the holes in his hands. Other people saw Mary, and not Jesus, or Mary standing at the side of Jesus. I mean, it is a Catholic church after all. And, or seeing Mary standing next to Jesus and praying over Jesus as he was ministering to people. And the local priest had this to say about what the people saw. He said that people are going to see Jesus based on the need that they have at the time. For those who need love or forgiveness or acceptance, they're going to see the outstretched arms. To those who need healing, they'll see the nail-scarred hands. To those who are suffering, they see the tears in his eyes. One woman named Anne was quoted by a reporter summing up her experience like this. said, when you leave here, you feel so cleansed and so elated. There's, for some reason, there has to be a reason that this is happening. Maybe it's because there's so much turmoil in the world and in our lives that maybe Jesus is trying to send us a message. The Milwaukee Archdiocese was interviewed and, and simply said no comment. We have no opinion on what's going on, but behind the scene, they had that revival group banned from the Catholic churches in Kenosha, and the whole thing just kind of died out. That revival group went on to form a church in Kenosha called Living Light, and they're actually one of the fastest growing churches in that area now. They're all they're spirit-filled and pretty healthy church that's going on. They left the Catholic Church and formed their own um, independent Pentecostal church. 
And I bring this story up before we get into the text of today's message so that we can see that there's really no difference between Israel in 1200 B.C. when the Ten Commandments were given and society today when it comes to this idea of idolatry. C.S. Lewis said that the modern world suffers from something called chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery means that we have this idea that the people of the Bible were somehow inferior to us today. That they were just primitive, they were more superstitious, more accepting of the supernatural, less educated about the world that we uh, live in today. And some of that, you know, it might be true, but human nature remains the same today as it did for those six million people that the Ten Commandments were directly given to by God. And as we see here through the quote, Miracle on 34th Street today, we are just as prone to idolatry as they were 1,200 years before Jesus was born. Solomon says this of humanity in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, when he says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be again. There is nothing new under the sun. If there is anything of which one can say, look, there is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. Our superstition and our idolatry just takes different forms, but it still exists today. We talk about, we'll talk about that in a minute, but let's get to the scripture. Now in Exodus chapter 20, remember we're having the biggest family meeting in all of history. And Father God is giving the second of the Ten Commandments. The first co commandment deals with the object of our worship. The second commandment will now deal with the method of our worship. Exodus 20 verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Father God, I ask, Lord, that these words which were first spoken thousands of years ago will birth something within us today that will help us to see what the sin of idolatry really is and how it applies to our life today. Father, this wasn't just a word given to these people thousands and thousands of years ago. It speaks just as true into our world and our lives today. And I ask, Father, that you take your word and you use it to judge the thoughts and actions of our hearts and the attitudes that we bring when we come and worship you and the way we live our lives. Father God, I thank you and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go into some of the reasons for the second commandment. And immediately, in its historical context, we have to remember where God was taking the nation he was giving this commandment to originally. When they were going to go into Canaan, when they were going to go into the promised land and take that over, they were going to be surrounded by idolatry. And not only were they going to be surrounded by idolatry when they got there, they were surrounded by idolatry from where they came from originally. <coughs> I mean, the Egyptians, we talked about it a little bit last week, the Egyptians 
worshipped multiple gods and had idols and images of those gods. They had them in their homes, on their buildings. They wove them into their clothing. They even had tattoos of these gods, so-called gods, on their bodies. In fact, if you read the ten plagues that God sent to Egypt, each one of them were attacking the pride and even the existence of those small g-gods that were in Egypt at the time. For example, one of the plagues that God sent was against um, the Egyptian god of Hopi. Hopi was the uh, god of the Nile and of water. So what did God do to the Nile and water? Turned it into blood to show that this god doesn't exist and has no power. Another one that he did was, called, was against was with the frogs, and that attacked the god, <coughs> excuse me, the god Hekek, the god of fertility, water, and renewal, and he was pictured with the head of the frog. So God had all the frogs come up out of the water and plague the people, and then they died. Another plague attacked the god of soil and earth, called Geb. God turned the soil to dust, which transformed into lice to plague the people. Another god, the god of creation, movement, and rebirth, called Kepri, had the head of a fly. So God sent flies so thick that people couldn't even go outside and open their mouths or breathe without either inhaling or ingesting a fly. God um, sent a plague against the livestock with Hathor, the goddess of love and protection. She was pictured with the head of a cow. So God allowed the livestock to die of disease. Isis, the god of health and peace. God instructs Moses to cast ashes into the air, and the Egyptians are plagued with boils. If you remember in the 1970s, there was a really bad TV program called Isis, and that was plagued to us. But it was a really bad program, I remember it. Um, Nut, the goddess of the sky. So God says, hail and fire from the sky. Seth, the god of disorder and storms. God sends locusts to show the impotence of that god. And Ra, the god of the sun, so God sends three days of darkness into Egypt. This is all God destroying their idols and attacking their false religion. And finally, the biggest one of all, Pharaoh himself was considered a god in his own people and the ultimate protector of the people of Egypt. And God sent the plague of the firstborn where the firstborn of every person died. And all these were meant to show the Egyptians and Israel the complete impotence of the idolatry practiced by the nation that had enslaved them for centuries. And they needed to see that lesson because the land they're heading into had its own idolatrous practices that they were going to be facing. For example, the gods of the people of Canaan, Baal. Baal was, was seen in the form of a bull. What was the first idol ever created by Israel? A bull, golden calf. Before they even got there, they were already worshiping a god that existed in the land that they were going to. Baal was the, the, the god of crops, of hedonistic sex, of domination. Asherah was another one in Canaan. That involved all kinds of deviant practices and child sacrifice. There was Dagon, the fish god of the Philistines, Philistines. All these already existed in the land that they were going to and the people that they were going to be sent to conquer. If they go north, north of Canaan at that time, into Germania and Italy and all that, they were involved in all kinds of ancestor worship. If they went south, 
into Africa, they were involved in pagan worship and nature worship in the south. And Israel was going to become a nation right in the middle of all of these idolatrous worship practices. In fact, the main trade route in the known world at that time went right through Israel, called the King's Highway. Right through Israel. So they were going to be constantly exposed to idolatry and idolatrous practices. And that's the reason that God gives the second commandment to Israel. Now what does that mean for us today? God gives it to us today so we don't fall into the temptation of this chronological snobbery. So let's look at our own world and what it means for us today. We have a missionary friend that's a member of the Jaktob tribe in Tanzania and Africa. His name's um, Gilowenga Monda. Gil got saved through the ministry of Dolphy, who's a single woman who went to Tanzania to be a missionary, called by God, went out into the bush, found the Datog people, and started ministering to them and telling them about Jesus. Gil was one of her first converts, and they fell in love and got married, and now he helps her reach the Datog people. And Gil, if you meet him, maybe you can have him here one day for a missions um, Sunday, next time they come through. He's a pretty cool guy. I mean, he's, he's tall, he's got a really big, infectious smile. I love Gil. And you can see the joy of the Lord shining through everything he does. He still has his facial tribal tattoos. They're common among the Dachtog. In fact, in the Dachtog tribe, you know, guys, we think we're all men here, right? In the Dachtog tribe, you're not considered a man until you kill a lion an elephant, or a water buffalo with a spear that you have to go out and make. That's their entry into being an official man. Now, I think you agree with me. Nobody questions your man card if you have one of those hanging on your wall, right? <laughs> Nobody ever questions your man card again. You got that on your resume, it's good. Now, it was our custom at our last church to take the missionary couple that was coming to speak to us out to dinner, but as the missions committee grew large and the restaurants grew crowded on Sundays, it was just, it wasn't practical to do that anymore because, you know, the missionaries, like, right here in the middle and everybody, you know, half the people are over here, half the people are over there. They don't get to hear what the missionaries were saying um, after church, so we brought it in-house and we had it in our fellowship hall. And someone asked Gil... Through Dolphy, he was still learning English at the time, what he thought of America. You know, coming from the bush of Africa, what he thought of, you know, the most prosperous nation on earth. He goes, what do you think, what do you, what do you think of America? What do you think our chief problem is spiritually? He said one word, idolatry. Idolatry. Now keep in mind that before he got saved, this is a man who lived in a very primitive African tribe. The Datog would routinely have parts and bowels of chicken and other animals spread throughout their house to ward off evil spirits. Now when Gill said that America's chief problem is idolatry, I'm thinking, dude, you're the one that has a chicken gizzard over your front door to ward off the evil spirits and you're accusing me of adultery? I'm like, come on, I mean, let's just compare here. You got the chicken gizzard. I have a Nintendo, okay? I mean, which one, of us, which one of us really has the idolatry? And yet, Gil said, we are the most idolatrous country that we have ever seen. And Dolphy explained it a little bit better for him, that the Datog are dirt poor. I said they're primitive. They are, they are primitive. They're living in the bush. Literally, 
They live in the plains. It's very arid. It's almost desert. There's hardly any water. There's hardly any chance for agriculture. And if you see the pictures of the starving African people on TV to donate to, they're probably of the, um, could be of the Doctobe tribe. And yet he comes to America where the poorest among us would be considered to be insanely wealthy compared to a, your average Doctobe. Even the person living in a trailer in, that leaks and, and everything else and has no money would be insanely rich in Doctobe um, compared to a Doctobe person. And he sees it, and he says, you have all this wealth here, and yet you are the most unhappy and miserable people that I ever meet sometimes. And as he sees it, it's because of idolatry. In America, we worship everything except for Jesus. And your average American Christian only sees Jesus as someone who can bless him and not somebody they can serve and sacrifice and follow. He even said, you claim to be an American nation, but he said he, he was watching TV in a hotel room, and your most popular TV show is called American Idol. You guys just worship this thing. Let's look at some of the other things that our American culture um, idolizes. Some of the things I'd like to point out this morning. One of the things that America worships is wealth. And Americans are notorious for worshiping wealth or the possessions that wealth buys, even at the expense of others. Everybody here have a cell phone? You got a cell phone? You have a cell phone or any other po thing powered with a portable battery that's been made in the last five years? You have a lithium-ion battery within that, that phone. Lithium is mined from cobalt. Cobalt comes from Africa, primarily, a little bit in South America also. Cobalt is mined using hand tools by people who are paid under a dollar a day. The most popular miners of cobalt are children because they can fit into tight spots. They hand make their tools, they lower them with ropes down in there, and they sit there in the dark or with a candle hacking at rocks and getting cobalt for our lithium-ion batteries. They don't have OSHA there. About a third of the workers will die directly involved with cobalt mining. And the rest will have children with such horrible birth defects that I couldn't even show you the pictures here in church. I was going to show you pictures of cobalt mining. And not only does it affect the direct workers, but the people drinking from streams or groundwater sources in the area are also affected and get very ill from the mines in their areas. These people are paid maybe a dollar a day, some of them a dollar a week. So we can spend $800 on a new smartphone. And I admit that so I like to ignore those kind of things too. I'm not a huge social justice person, but there's something wrong with that, isn't there? Another thing that, people, that Americans put their faith in is our military might. United States, we have a member of the United States military right here. United States is the most fearsome military that has ever existed on the face of this earth. Right now, President Trump can pick up a phone and with one other person agreeing to it, order the deaths of millions of people in a faraway city, and in 30 minutes that, nation, that city will be blown up in a nuclear bomb. Just totally eradicated. 
No other person or country has ever had that power up until the last 60, 70 years. Not only do we, if we take nuclear out of the picture, we had just had the MOA bomb that was dropped in Afghanistan a month ago. It wiped out a few square miles of area. If you took a MOA bomb and exploded it in over the top of Quick Trip, it would wipe out our entire city. There wouldn't be a single building standing when that thing was over. Americans trust in our military to keep us safe, and rightly so. It is an extremely powerful military. However, consider this. I'm not going to get into whether God allowed it, directed it, or how or why it happened, but what did God allow the terrorists to attack on September 11th? The World Trade Center, our wealth, and the Pentagon, our military. Do you think God might have been trying to send us a message? Do you think that God did the same thing to America on a smaller scale that he did to Egyptians by knocking down a few of the idols that we put our faith in? Just something to ponder. Another thing we worship in America is self-esteem or celebrity. We say, well, how come self-esteem is bad? Because right now we can't decide what bathroom to use anymore. Because we don't want to offend somebody's self-esteem. We don't want to offend somebody's idea of who they are as a person. We give out trophies for achievement instead of for, or give out trophies for participation instead of achievement because we don't want to identify somebody who's a winner or a loser. We create safe spaces on college campuses because we can't afford to offend other people's sensitivities. In the rush to worship each other's self-esteem, we're crippling an entire generation as to the realities of life. I'm sorry, but life has winners and losers. And we cripple our young people by trying to help them worship their own self-esteem. Not to mention allowing them to believe lies that will damn them eventually to hell if they don't repent. And on the flip side of that, we worship Hollywood, which has directly contributed to this message, mess that we're in by promoting gross sin in TV shows and music and movies. Another thing we worship in our culture is sports. You ever been to a college football game? Anybody's been to a college football game? Go down to Camp Randall Stadium this fall. Everybody paints themselves red, color of the Wisconsin Badgers. They're going to scream, they're going to do waves because somehow they, they believe that's going to change the outcome. Now take a person from Mount Sinai, just your average everyday peasant or farmer or whatever, take him from there, plant him at Mount Sinai with have no cultural context of what's going on. And people are waving and they're singing and they're, they're all painted and they're all in unison and everything. What does that look like to him? Looks like a big worship service. They're worshiping some pagan god. Isn't that what we're doing often in our football games? Yet you ask people to get emotional in their worship of church, and they look at you like they're crazy. That's just too radical. We don't want to get too radical about our religion. It's not football, after all. What about politics? How many people lost friends this last election? Anybody get defriended on Facebook? Or have friends that don't talk to you anymore because you may have wanted to vote for, for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? You know, we, go to their, we give to their campaigns, we argue, we lose friendships over the, over the issues. We willingly turn our faces on the politicians' obvious fault because we believe that they're going to make our lives better. 
And yet we ask people to give to a missionary or share their faith, and they're silent. But they'll argue about it all day long and be willing to lose friends over a politician who is going to fail you. It's just the nature of humanity. Human will always fail you. But we won't tell them about the person who can save them. These are just some of the idols in our culture. Now let's ask ourselves what some of our personal idols might be. And I put these down into three different categories. You can find out what your personal idols are by asking yourself, where do you put your treasure, where do you put your time, and where is your talent invested? Your treasure, what do you give your money to? If everyone had their bank statement from the last year projected up here on the screen, would you be ashamed of how much was spent maybe on going out to eat versus how much you gave to missions or the church or charity? What have you spent God's money on? Because you know what? It's all God's money. He created the paper and the ink that the money is printed with. He created the ability to digitally represent that in a bank. It's all created by God. And if it's not yours, particularly if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you were bought with a price, therefore everything you have belongs to God. Everything. What are, where are you spending God's treasure? Even more valuable than money is your time. Your time is more valuable than your money. Do you know that? Because you have no idea how much you have. You can always go out and spend or earn more money. You can work more jobs. You can, you can save. You can do all these things. But each one of us has a finite amount of time. That's why time is even more valuable than money. And you know what? There's no way to earn it or purchase it. We can only borrow our time from God, which is really what we're doing. And someday he's going to call us to give an account for what he has lent to us. The Bible says it's appointed for man once to die. Once to die. We have an appointment. And barring the rapture, we all have that set day where we're going to breathe our last. Most of us will never know when that will happen, but it will happen. And when God opens the book of remembrance and looks on your life, what will he see that you have spent the time that he has lent to you? Are you going to see that he has spent the time that he has lent you, that things that glorified him? Or did you use your time simply to try to make you happy? And how you spend your time is one of the primary ways that you show God, yourself, and the world who you really worship. The third thing is talent. God has given you giftings and talents that were meant to enrich His kingdom. Not yourself. Not your life. Some people are gifted musically. Some people are gifted financially and being able to make money. Some people are gifted with the, the want to work hard and to serve and, and have a duty to, to serve others. Some people are really artistic and, and can make and create things of great beauty. Some people have huge capacities for loving the unloved and just for loving people and want to be around people. And God gives everybody a talent or a gift to enrich His kingdom. That is why you have the giftings you have is for His kingdom. And we, we use our God-given God giftings to make ourselves rich and famous instead of using them to help others see Jesus it's one of the most tragic forms of idolatry there is. 
because we're using His giftings to worship ourselves. And one day we're going to have to stand before Him and give an account of how we've used our time, our treasure, and our talent. The great revivalist Leonard Ravenhill was fond of quoting this poem from Alexander McLean when he said, When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and He shows His plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had He had His way, and I see how I blocked him here, and I checked him there, and I would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still? Oh, he would have had me rich, but I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. Well, my memory runs like a hunted thing down the path I cannot retrace. Someday we will have to give an account. And idolatry is a hard topic because none of us want to admit it's probably the commandment we all struggle with the most. It's probably the commandment that most people are going to listen to a sermon like this and they're going to be glaring at the pastor at the end of it. And I knew preparing for this series of the Ten Commandments that this was going to be one of the hardest messages because it really judges our thoughts. It really judges our attitudes. And it really brings to light our closely held secret sins that we don't want to admit that exists within our spirits. But my friends, the time is getting too short for feel-good Christianity. The time is getting too, too short for doing things as we have always done them and, and getting the same result that we've always gotten. The Bible says that the devil comes with great wrath because he knows his time is short. Our time is short. And it's time to get rid of the idols out of our lives and to stop breaking God's second commandment. Amen?